0: Hi everyone, thank you for having me. It's a joy to be with you today. Over the next three weeks, we're starting a series of sermons on the three most important words of your life. No, they're not Hainanese chicken chop, which are some of my favorite three words, but thanks, sorry, and please. Why are they the most important words in your life? Your proficiency in saying thanks, sorry, and please is the best predictor of health and resilience in your life and in love. As a father myself, I want nothing more for my son than to use these words well. They will outlive me, they will set him up well, they will be the measure of his character and they will determine the quality of his relationships. And I believe in a much larger way, God our Father wants us to grow in a posture of gratitude, repentance and surrender, to live life to the full and to bear his image as his representatives to the world. Thank you, sorry and please They're not just magic words that we utter from our lips. They are postures of the heart. They are in the worship that we give to God, in the recognition of our lack and our sin, in the humility that comes with knowing that we can't do it all on our own. So today, we're starting with the posture of thanksgiving. A heart that says, thank you. I want to read to you a story from Luke's gospel. And this account is found in Luke 17, verse 11 to 19. The words will come up on the screen. I'll read them to you. And here it says in verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Jesus was on his way to the cross and he knew this, but the people around him didn't. In verse 12, it says, As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. You see, in those days, leprosy was an infectious disease that was caused by slow-growing bacteria that could affect the nerves, skin, eyes, and nose. And most of the ancient world didn't know how to treat leprosy then. And so they dealt with the unknown with the only way they knew to avoid those with the disease. And this is why the 10 men stood at a distance and they had to call out loudly. And in verse 14, it says, When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. In those days, the Jews and the Samaritans were enemies. And so the Jews avoided them like a plague. And it was no irony that this man, an outcast in more ways than one, an odd one out all of his life, stood out in his gratitude. Verse 17 says, Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give thanks to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Amen. Why is giving thanks so important to God? Why does it make such a difference to our well being and our relationships? Why is it so embedded in the way that we're made? In her 12 years of research, Brene Brown interviewed thousands of people to study the relationship between joy, shame, and courage. And what she found was not a single person who had described themselves as joyful who also did not actively practice gratitude. It became clear that gratitude doesn't just happen spontaneously. It isn't so much an orientation of a positive person or an attitude of a sanguine person, but more the practice of a deliberate person. The Jesuit priest, David Stendhal Rust said, it's not joy that makes us grateful, it's gratitude that makes us joyful. In his letter to the Thessalonian church, Paul wrote, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually. And we read, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In all circumstances, give thanks. If joy is a fruit of the spirit, then giving thanks is what grows joy. But how do we cultivate a deliberate practice of gratitude in our lives? In the story of the 10 lepers that we just read, we see four stages of movement in the leper's life. And in a sense, these places are a metaphor for where we can be in our lives in relation to giving thanks. So here's those four places. Place number one, at a distance. At the start of the story, the lepers are in that first place at a distance. It says in verse 12, as he was going to the village, Ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. You see, the lepers were standing at this place, at a distance, because they had lived their entire lives there. Separated by physical disease and social rejection, the lepers were outcasts and rejects. For them, they had BL and AL, before leprosy and after leprosy. Now imagine with me a boy who grew up in a normal Jewish home loved by his parents and siblings, but who would one day wake up to find out his skin had mysterious warts, that he was beginning to lose sensations all over his body. He would trip over things because his nerves were no longer functioning. His physical deterioration would only be made worse by the pain of separation from his parents, from his home, from his village, and the dimming lights of his future until one day, he would encounter others like him who had experienced the same pain of rejection as he did. This was the story of the 10 lepers. But perhaps your story is not so different. You may not have had a physical ailment like leprosy, but maybe like a kind of leprosy, you have experienced a numbing of your joy, a loss of enjoyment, a painful separation in your life. And you know what it feels like to be in this place at a distance, like these 10 men. Giving thanks in seasons like this can feel like the last thing to do. And so it was for the lepers. They cried out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. This word master meant something like master commander. They recognized Jesus' power over sickness and death. And how did Jesus respond? In a world where the lepers were to be avoided, where they went unheard and unnoticed every day of their lives, verse 14 tells us that Jesus saw them and began to speak to them. A few years ago, while I was working in Alpha Malaysia, my team and I ran an Alpha conference in Bahasa Malaysia, in Miri, Sarawak, to introduce the tool of Alpha to BM-speaking pastors in East Malaysia. And you know, growing up, like most Malaysians, I had to learn to speak BM in school, but I had never done a Christian talk in it. And so the day came, that moment came when during the training session, I had to deliver this talk in BM and I had practiced this many times actually. And actually it went quite okay. Then came the closing prayer. And because the topic was on the Holy Spirit and prayer, I wanted us to practice prayer for ourselves. I wanted it to be practical. So I invited everyone to stand as you will in a moment and then to pray that simple prayer that we always pray in church. Datanglah roh kudus, come Holy Spirit. What I had forgotten by this point was that a very close word to kudus, holy, is kudis, warts. And as I invited the delegates to pray, I told them, kita menjemput roh kudus sekarang. We will pray to invite God to fill us with His Holy Spirit now. And then I said, the one most important line of the whole talk, datanglah roh kudis. Come, spirit of leprosy. And the whole lost it, there was laughter. And I thought, oh no, wrong spirit. And I've never quite recovered since then. You see, leprosy creates a distance between people. But the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, brings us together. The Holy Spirit is always proximate. He comes near to us. And when we invite Him to come, He always does. And when you encounter Jesus through the Holy Spirit, you receive a new spirit. In Galatians 4, verse 6, it says God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. In Jesus, you can know the love of the father. And as God's child, your primary identity is now as God's family. And if it's true you're in God's family, your place changes. You're no longer standing at a distance. You belong to a home. You get to come inside and that home is His church, His people. But not only that, as God's child, you now have a role to let people in. You see, giving thanks has a lot to do with giving up our pride and giving out our best to others. In Christ, we're both radically set apart and radically outward in love. And this means we're no longer inward looking, but outward in service. It was St. Augustine who defined sin as incurvatus insa, a person so deeply curved in on himself that he's no longer able to attribute his gifts to God and to others. And if that's true, then ingratitude is a kind of incurvatus insa, an inability to thank God for the gifts he's already given to us and enslavement to discontentment and comparison. And the prison of ingratitude can make us miserable. It can make others feel less than. And when we fail to give thanks, it creates a gap in our relationships. I love this quote by John Ott who said, gratitude is the ability to experience life as a gift. It liberates us from the prison of self preoccupation. And today I believe God wants to release us into joy, a new freedom to enjoy his love and to share the life that we have with Him, with others. So the first place is being at a distance. And maybe you've been there. You can know Jesus who sees you. You can know that Jesus sees you. He has overcome the divide of sin and death and brought you into the family. And even here, you can give thanks. The second place is to be in between, on the way. In verse 14, we see a surprising thing. It says, when Jesus saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. You know, this is surprising to us as the modern day reader because it sounds as if Jesus is turning the lepers away. We know that Jesus can heal them on the spot in the first place, but instead he sends them to get on a journey. But to the ancient person, this command would have made sense because in those days, if a leper was healed from leprosy, the priests were given the power to determine if the healing was valid but they could also do the opposite. So to go to the priest yet unhealed was a big risk, a step of faith for a reality not yet seen. And yet we're told as they went, they were cleansed. Now, why is this significant? I believe God often gives us a primary role in the very thing we're asking for. He loves involving us in his mission to heal the world. And faith sometimes involves doing what is practical and simple, to take that first step in the direction of your prayer. I wonder if you relate with this in-between nature of this place. It can be so difficult to give thanks in a season of transition between a prayer made and a prayer fulfilled. And yet scripture exhorts us to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And on this road, on the way to the priest, the lepers received their healing. What is the work that God wants to do in your life, in this journey between your prayer and your answer? You know, perhaps the most tattooed but misunderstood biblical scripture of all time is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And this is found in Philippians 4 verse 13. But what is... Preceded by this line is not so much a declaration of prosperity or personal gain, but of conquering the insatiable hunger for more in the human heart. It says in Philippians 4 verse 12, the verse before that, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then it goes on to say that, particular line, in the context of this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, Paul is saying here, more than even our highest dreams being fulfilled or our deepest prayers being answered, sometimes the greatest work that God can do in our lives is to give us a steadfast joy through all circumstances. And this place of the in-between, it's in this place that our hope is revealed in the uncertain. You can give thanks in this place because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. I love Star Wars. And one of my favorite Star Wars films is Rogue One. And in Rogue One, when Jean Erso, the main character, um, she begins to fight along the Rebel Alliance to stop the advance of the evil galactic empire. We begin to see a a bit of um, a wrestle among the rebels about whether they would embark on this mission to steal the plans of the Death Star the ultimate weapon of the Empire, to stop it from destroying the rest of the galaxy. But as Jin meets the rebel leaders to fight the Empire, they begin to express their discouragement, their hopelessness. They are so outnumbered, the odds are stacked against them. And a rebel leader says to her, you're asking us to invade an imperial installation based on nothing but hope? What hope would there be for a small rogue team of rebels Against a giant unstoppable empire. And Jin looks at the leader and says, rebellions are built on hope. You see, in a world of complaints, misery, and hopelessness, grateful contentment is a countercultural act of resistance. Gratitude is a rebellion against the darkness, built on hope. G.K. Chesterton said, I would maintain that thanks are the highest form of thought and that gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. And today you too can know true contentment, the joy of gratitude, living to the fullest, the gifts already given to you by God. Place one is the place of distance. Place two is the place of transition. And place number three is the place of return. In verse 15, we read, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Interestingly, Jesus expressed his disappointment at the other nine. It says in verse 17, were not 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And there are two things that we can learn about gratitude in this moment. That number one, gratitude unexpressed is experienced by others as ingratitude. And number two, you cannot love well without thanking well. There's something really important about gratitude that requires it to come back, to return the credit to the owner. And when we give thanks, we're really saying, I love the gift, but I love the giver more. Were the other nine lepers grateful for their healing? You know, after a lifetime of rejection and separation, I have no doubt that they were grateful. But what was the the difference between the nine lepers and this one Samaritan leper? He returned and he expressed his gratitude. Simply, he gave thanks. And his return showed that more than the life-changing healing he had received, he was more interested in the life-changing healer he had met. You see, appreciation always says, I value you more than what you can do for me. And this gratitude, when given, can only be given freely, sometimes even extravagantly. Earlier in the same Gospel of Luke, in Luke 7, we're told of a story of a sinful woman who learned that Jesus was in a Pharisee's house for a meal. And we're told that she brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind Jesus at his his feet, crying. She began to wash his feet with her tears, and she dried them with her hair, kissing them many times and rubbing them with the perfume. When the Pharisee questioned this moment, Jesus pointed out that her depth of gratitude had come from her depth of understanding how much she was forgiven. Jesus said, I tell you that her many sins are forgiven, so she showed great love. But a person who is forgiven only a little will love only a little. You see, pride and gratitude are opposites. Pride from self-reliance says, look how much I have done. Gratitude from knowing Jesus says, look how much God has done. And I wonder if you have ever been the recipient of ingratitude. You know, a strange thing happens when thanks is withheld. The recipient of ingratitude is always aware of it, but the culprit is always not. You may have known the quiet pain of feeling unseen or unvalued, And if that's the case, you would know gratitude experience is not about a feeling the giver has, but an expression the giver shares. You must give a gift so that it can be received. And in the same way, this Samaritan leper reminds us to give our thanks freely and quickly. In fact, we're told give thanks loudly and exuberantly in your encouragement of others, in your worship of God, in your delight in the small things. If you run the risk of missing the moment of giving thanks, turn around and come back for the ground that this leper once knew in despair was now the ground that he fell to at Jesus' feet with thanksgiving. You see, this Samaritan leper did not just have a gratitude fluke. His was a heart already cultivated with gratitude. We're told in the book of Romans that an unthankful heart is fertile soil for darkness. It says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. As the Samaritan leper received his healing on the way to the priest, he received a new revelation of the true high priest. Psalm 116 verse 17 says, I will sacrifice a thank offering to you, God, and call on the name of the Lord. You see, when we give thanks for our circumstances, we grow in our contentment. When we give thanks to others, we grow in encouragement. And when we give thanks to God, we grow in our worship. And again and again, the Bible exhorts us to give thanks in all circumstances, in the place of distance, in the place of transition, in the place of return, and finally, in going forward. Place four is rise and go. This fourth place is the place we're stepping in, the place of going forward. In verse 19, Jesus said, "'Then he said to him, "'Rise and go, your faith has made you well.'" This is the place you're called to go. But the question is, how will we rise and go? Several decades ago, um, a social psychologist called John Barr designed a scramble test. One version of this test was primed with rude words and the other with polite words. And yet another, a control group primed with neutral words. Now, the students thought that they were just taking a language test, but they would then move to another room to take part in another seemingly different task, which the researchers would explain to them. And as they arrived in this other room, the participants found the research, uh, the researchers, all the people in the, the research deep in conversation with someone else. And unknown to them, they were timed over the course of 10 minutes to see how long it would take before they interrupted that conversation. They were waiting for instructions to be given. What was interesting was that those who had been primed with words associated with rudeness were far quicker to interrupt. Over 60% of the rudely primed participants interrupted compared to less than 20% of the politely primed people who had read kind words. A few polite words. A few rude words, what difference did they make? Well, for these participants, 40%. Proverbs 18, verse 21 says, the tongue has the power of life and death. Our words have life-giving power. They are self-fulfilling. They can make a difference. They can set a culture. And when we thank God and thank the people that He has placed around us, we raise the value of others in our eyes and deepen our love for them in our hearts. So when Jesus told the Samaritan leper who was healed to rise and go, he was saying that this man had received something far greater than his physical healing. He was also saved from his sins. His nine friends were declared clean by the priests of the temple, but this man was declared safe by the Son of God, our true high priest. And now he was told to go, commissioned forward to a world that he can share this gratitude with. And maybe today, these are the words you need to hear. Rise and go. From a place of deep gratitude to the Lord, Jesus sends us out into a world in need of good news. And the greatest purpose you could ever have is to live a life of gratitude that says thank you to Jesus. Sometimes it's easy to buy into the myth that if I had more to be grateful for, I'd be more grateful. But nothing of what we have and nothing of what we've done was done by ourselves we all owe a debt of gratitude to each other. Because of what Christ has done for us, we will never have nothing to be grateful for. In Romans 13, verse eight, we're told, "'Let no debt remain outstanding, "'except the continuing debt to love one another, "'for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law.'" The author of Romans says, you know, it's good to have no financial debt obligation. Yet there is one debt you have that you can never pay off. This is the huge debt of love that we owe to each other. But who has the right to demand that bill? God. And where does he want us to send that payment? To his people. For when we love people, we are fulfilling our worship. God calls you and I to go out into a hurting world with the best news they could ever hear, that they are loved by the one who created them and the penalty of their sin has been paid for, their lives bought at a great price with the very life of Christ so that they may be at peace with God and with themselves. But how will they know if no one tells them? And how will we share this news except through grateful hearts? We can give thanks to Jesus, and we can give thanks for Jesus. You see, giving thanks is a posture that pleases God's heart, but perhaps what stands out most to me in this passage is that where the story started with the lepers standing at a distance, marginalized from society, Jesus came close. He not only acknowledged them, but healed them and gave them restoration and new life. And so regardless of the place that you're in your life, you can call unto Jesus and He will come close to you. If you're standing at a distance, you can know the barrier-crossing love of God. If you're on the way in that in-between wait, you can know the cleansing power of God. If you're by the feet of Jesus, you can know the presence and love of God. And from this place, as you encounter Jesus, you can rise and go, and you can share the love of God to the world. So we can give thanks. Amen. Why don't wherever we are right now, I wanna invite you to raise your hands like this. You may even want to stand where you are. And we're gonna pray that simple prayer, Come spirit of leprosy, but come Holy Spirit. The Spirit who brings us close. The love of the Father. The presence of Jesus. And we pray, come Holy Spirit. Just take a moment to wait on Him. Whatever place you're in. Jesus, we thank you that we can receive joy that comes from you. And we thank you that even if we receive nothing else in this life, we have the greatest gift already. So we pray now, come fill our hearts with new hope and new joy and help us to grow in thanksgiving. Help us to give thanks in all circumstances that as we do so, That we might be a light unto the world of darkness in need of your saving. In Jesus' name, amen.